Welcome to episode 165 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, our special guest is Rob Walling, who is the founder and CEO of the fantastic Hit Tale. Hey, Rob, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me back, guys. So I have a question, Justin. Do, uh, J- Rob is our special guest. Have we ever had just a guest? We've never had a guest, no. They're always special. They're always a special guest. But you've got, you've got to show a bit of courtesy to your guests. <laughs> just, well, I just noticed that. Kind of like the uh, kind of like the movie uh, The Incredibles. If if everyone's special, then no one is. <laughs> I think I think I might be uh, extra special because have I uh, do I now have the record for the most appearances on texting? Oh, you definitely do. I think I'm. Is this four? Yeah, you've you've that's that's definitely the record. Alex has been on twice. Phil, Eamon has been on a couple times. Uh, how many times has Peter Cooper been on? I think he's been on three times. All right, sweet. This Thank was you. my goal from way back. I actually emailed you guys like a year ago. I was like, I want to be the Steve Martin of your podcast. Steve Martin, I think, the most appearing uh, SNL guest. Right. Yeah, Steve Martin was actually never part of the of the cast, was he? I know. No, he wasn't. And I always thought he was in the early days, but he just made so many guest appearances that huh. you use it for that. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I want people to think that about me. Wait, it wasn't Rob part of texting in the early days? He was a co-host. <laughs> it's kind of like that co-host is like the every once in a while co-host. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, um, I was just I was just thinking about uh, how to how to you know intro this whole thing, and I was thinking you know, you know, Rob was a was a man with a dream. <laughs> he he had small dreams. In fact, you might even call them micro dreams. <laughs> but then he's then he dreamed big. <laughs> he dreamed bigger he had than a medium. Hit on his mind. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. So uh, this today is going to be the story of Hit Tale. Yeah. Right? So we, uh, I, I, want, I want to start from the very beginning. I mean, you've, you've, you've talked about it on and off on, um, you know, Starbucks for the rest of us, but I don't think it's ever been the complete story in one, in one go, and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So why don't you let's, let's start off by just giving us the background on, on how it kind of came together. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I've actually, I haven't talked much about the acquisition at all. Um, so this will be kind of the first public discussion of it, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, basically, so Hittail is a, a website that helps people with search engine optimization. It basically um, gives you suggestions for keywords that you should target on your website. And I had heard about it in 2006 when it first launched, and it was launched by a PR firm. Uh, it was like a PR slash SEO firm. And at the time, it had, they had the freemium pricing model. And so I had signed up back then, and I've been a customer since then. Um, so I basically, you know, what, almost six years now. And I had recommended it to lots of people that I know. I've used the suggestions for years. And I had, uh, I actually recommended it in the Micropreneur Academy. I mean, it really is something that I had, you know, long used and, and found value in. And... Last year, actually, you know, after after I I wrote I published my book almost about eighteen months ago in twenty ten, and then wait, what uh, was the book again for our listeners? Yeah, sure. The book is uh, "Start Small, Stay Small: A Developer's Guide to Launching a Startup." 
And okay. you can you can find that on Amazon or, or startupbook.net. Um, and after I did that, I, I started asking myself the question, this is 18 months ago, and I started asking myself the question, what's next? You know, like what what is next for me? I have these these micro businesses, like you said, um, they support me full time plus um, I have a book now. Like, what what is the next exciting thing that that I'm going to do? And Mike Tabor and I, uh, my you know my co-host on Startups for the rest of us, we decided to do MicroConf, which you guys came at came to and uh, and Justin spoke at. And as that was kind of ramping up, I realized this this conference is fun, but like, what you know, what's next after that? What's my next big move? Am I going to write a book, another book? Am I going to build an app? Am I going to do do something? And I realized that I wanted to do something just a little bigger than, than the ideas I've done in the past. And it's, it was really a motivation of, I want to do something that's, that's going to challenge me more, you know, cause doing another idea that makes uh, a few thousand bucks a month. Um, it just, I've done that over and over, you know, and it, it's not, I wasn't learning. I, I kind of had stopped learning and I wanted to expand my horizons. Cause the micro premier Academy, you're, your advice is generally really um, modest, which makes sense because it's you're you're trying to give people something that has a high probability of working. That's the idea, yeah. But you've had so much success at that level; it's now time to push it to the next. Yeah, exactly. And I've I've I have to admit I've I struggled with that for a while. I was thinking to myself like, is it is it a, a hierarchy? Like, do, should you start small and then? gradually move up into, you know, larger and larger businesses. And I don't think that's the case. I just think that happens to be where I want to go. But I think some people will start small and stay small forever. And I don't think that's a bad way to go either. You know, I think that comes down more to personal preference and personal goals and cut with the kind of person you are. And I think if you're just more mellow and content with um, having, you know, kind of having a lifestyle business or multiple lifestyle businesses, then that's cool. Um, and I think if you're, I mean, I'm always wanting to, you know, go, 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 do stuff, learn, learn, learn. I mean, that's what I do. And so, yeah. Well, then you I, have the opposite end of the spectrum is you have these kids who come out of college and are just, a, you know, in their early 20s and they go and raise venture funding. And if things flame out and they do that one or two times, but usually they're so young that they don't have a lot of overhead or expenses. They're not married. They don't have kids. They don't have to worry about maintaining any real uh, substantial income. Whereas for, I imagine a lot of people in the Micropreneur Academy, it's the opposite story where they have to, um, you know, they have to hold down a real job or have some kind of real income, and, but they have to have a way to, to sort of scale into entrepreneurship. That's right. That's exactly right. And I think your point earlier of, you know, I try to recommend businesses or kind of a business model, the Micropreneur approach that, uh, that has a higher probability of success than any other that I know, you know, higher than... Than, even than what I'm going to do with Hittail, or then certainly higher than, uh, than what people would try to do with, with venture funding. Right. So, um, yeah. So go on. So on. Yeah. Let's, okay. let's the next. So you're thinking big. You want to go big. You're tired of playing small ball. You want yeah, to. Yeah. Well, what was interesting is it, it wasn't even thinking big. It was more along the lines of, of something just different, you know, and something maybe a little bigger, but it, certainly I'm not, I mean, I'm not planning to get funding or anything for this. It just has a bigger, it, it's not as niche is really all it winds up being. Right. So, yeah. So I sat down, I made a list of problems that entrepreneurs have. Um, Cause I went around for a while thinking, you know, if I don't really want to go niche, what do I want to do? And I realized that I know a lot about what, especially, you know, software entrepreneurs and online entrepreneurs, I know a lot about them and I interact with a lot of them. And I started thinking, what problems do they need solved that software could solve? And 
I had this big list of a dozen and I talked through it with a few folks. And uh, I found myself being really excited about helping you know, I mean, you guys know, I like, I like the idea of marketing. I like marketing. I like spreading the word and, and helping others learn how to market their wares, you know, because a, lo a lot of developers can build really good software, but it's like getting people to come to your site is, is a challenge. And so that's something that I've been good at. And I feel like I'm, I'm good at teaching. And so I got really excited in that area. And I realized that I wanted to do something in this, in the search engine space. And sure enough, I just started thinking, you know, there's this tool, Hittail, that's been going down, uh, you know, a couple days, a uh, couple days a month, maybe a couple days every month. It was having major downtime. Right. And okay. they actually had like a five day outage at one point. And this is an analytics package. So it was, it's something that when it goes down, it actually impacts the, the speed of the websites that, it, you know, that are sending it traffic. Yikes. So it was, okay. yeah. When it was going down, were you thinking that's going down because they've got so much cost, you know, so many customers, and you were thinking that's that's what would be a good acquisition target. I was thinking it was going down because they were neglecting it, ah. and that turned and because the site looked so bad, it was such an old UI, and it just I could tell it hadn't been touched in years, and so I just figured they had left the code and not touched it in years. Yeah, and, it wasn't the it, fail well problem. It wasn't like Twitter where you're reading no. about them in TechCrunch every few days and there's getting yep. venture capital and just blowing up with customers. It was like this crappy right. little website that's starting to go dark. So you noticed it going down and that piqued your interest as an acquisition target. It did. Yeah, isn't that, it's funny, <laughs> huh? I, I've, I've done this before where I've cold emailed like an owner of a website or an owner of an app and haven't had much luck with it. Uh, but this spurred me because I started thinking, you know, if this person owns it, they obviously don't want to put time into it. So they're going to be much more likely since it is essentially dying from my outside perspective. I think they'll be much more likely to, to let it go. Yeah. Because once you, once you, once you sort of lose the faith and you're just trying to figure out how to, how to get out with anything <laughs> in some ways, they might even be thinking about like just wanting to get it off their list of responsibilities. And if they can come up with some money too, great. That's um, right. You know, and, and they're they're in that emotional state, so they're they're ready to sell. They're ready to 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 put a bullet in its head one way or another. But but if if they're in that position, what makes you think okay, I can take that and turn that into a money making business? Because obviously they want to get rid of it because it's not working for them. Well, what what makes me think I can do it is that I've done that a bunch of times with these smaller businesses. I mean, that's basically been a big part of my success is acquiring apps that are written well by developers and. Uh, you know, developers who couldn't spread the word and who couldn't market it. And so I knew, I knew that if it had software problems, I was pretty confident that I could fix them or find someone who could. I mean, that's what we do. So you're, right? you're, like, you're a turnaround specialist. That's, I, especially with this one, I'm realizing that's exactly what I'm doing with this. It's totally. You know what? You can have a TV show called This Old, this old Piece of Software. I know. That's <laughs> what like it feels like. You're like the Gordon Ramsay of, uh, it, <laughs> of software. You, you guys aren't joking. <laughs> that's exactly software. what this has been. Yeah, it's totally like a rehab, like a buying a piece of real estate and redoing the plumbing and re putting a new coat of paint on it. And then, you know, I mean, I don't plan on putting it out, uh, out to, to market, you know, to, uh, to sell the thing anytime soon. But that, I mean, it is kind of a flipper thing, you know, of like buying and rehabbing it. It's ironic that they're a PR firm who made it in the first place, who, who are basically supposed to be successful at this. Well, isn't so what I've realized as I've worked on this and gotten deeper into to how everything worked and the history of it is they were a good PR firm and they spread the word because Hitail was mentioned in Inc. Magazine, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it was in it was on TechCrunch. It was 
one of the top 100 most innovative apps uh, by Business Week in 2007. I mean, on and on and on, all these magazine mentions, these are things I could never do. Like, I don't know how to do PR like that. But what they were not good at was marketing and sales. And Which is interesting, right? Because, because people would think that there's such a high such a high correlation between yep. those three things, sales, marketing, and PR. It's kind of all yep. the same stuff, but it's really not. It's not at all. And the marketing and the sales, especially online marketing and online sales, are the things that I've found a lot of success with and that they, they weren't doing. I mean, just by looking at the website, I knew, I knew there were leaky, you know, leaks all over the place in terms of, of people coming and just wandering off or not understanding what the site did. They just had a very leaky sales funnel. Okay, so, so if, if you could break that down a little bit more for us. I mean, basically what I'm understanding, though, is that they had good PR and that they, could, they were able to get in contact and get the interest of um, writers, tech writers, to cover their, their story. Yep. But their actual messaging, their, their user journeys, that, their funnels were really bad. Is that, is that essentially the case? That is, I'll say that's my opinion. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't say that, but I, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is that if you go to their, the old version of the website, um, so the, the website's at, at hittail.com, H-I-T-T-A-I-L.com, but I'm just for posterity, I'm keeping up the old version of it because I want to take screenshots before I shut it down. And it's at old.hittail.com. And so, <laughs> that's great. I like that. Old. So it's like, it's like when they fix up a house, right? You have the old version and it's so fun right. to look out. It's so fun to look at the old crappy version before the, the and you walk in, you have the big reveal. Now, you know, yep. when you say that's your opinion, it's, it's actually even more than that, that that's what you're banking on. I was banking on my, my understanding of coming to their website and looking and being confused myself, even as a user of the app. And then once I contacted her, which we'll get to, contacted the owner, and she started giving me the numbers of how many visits they get, how many people were signing up for trials and then not converting, I knew that with some improvements that this thing could, be, could make some money. Wow. You know, yeah. Yeah. Justin, I mean, Justin would, has described you as the Warren Buffett of micro businesses. Right. <laughs> That sure, you own like, all these tiny businesses. Right. But, well, that may be true. You're kind of like one of those CEO types who go in and they the turnaround specialist. They, they go in and they, they get a good understanding of the business and they buy it and they, to- and they transform it. Because Warren Buffett doesn't do that. Warren Buffett takes a business that's working and essentially just buys it and, and, and keeps the CEO and management in place and lets it run, right? Yeah, although in the early days, he didn't. Like in this, I listened to his biography, and in the 50s and 60s, I think there were more times where he would replace management. Okay. So perhaps I'll get to the other place eventually. I think it's more expensive. It's cheaper to buy a failing one and turn it around, you know, when you have less capital up front. And then as you get more money, I think he's gone into just buying buying bigger businesses that are already- He buys like defensible brands, things that yep. companies just have huge moats and just- That's right. Yeah. Huge and brands. that's something, I mean, frankly, Hittail has a bit of a moat because it's not something- uh, it's not something you could build quickly and it requires a lot. It requires some pretty hefty hardware to run because it's a real-time analytics package. So mm-hmm. you can't just get a $50 VPS and run this thing because it gets 20 to 30 database inserts per second coming mm-hmm. from all the websites that it's tracking. You know, every time a page loads on any customer's website, like I get I, my script gets hit and it goes into a database. So this is not something you could build too cheaply, if that makes sense. Although I'd say no JS and Mongo. No, I, I totally would have. I actually, early on when I was looking at this, I said, I'm going to rewrite this in Node.js or have someone rewrite it. But Jason, <laughs> the thing is, you, you can use Node.js and Mongo cheaply, but you cost 250 an hour. So that's going to end up being very expensive. 
Well, yeah, I'm just saying that it's funny because uh, 20, 20 inserts a second seems like a, a lot of inserts for, you know, maybe PHP going into MySQL or something. But, I mean, maybe not. I guess it depends on your hardware. But uh, for stuff that we've done on uh, standard server sh- hardware, um, between Mongo and, and Node, it really isn't a big deal. But I'm getting off topic. I don't, I don't mean to derail <laughs> the conversation. So, Right. So um, I guess we were talking about the old website versus the new and how I, right. when I came to the old website, I realized, I mean, even their tagline, you know, it says Hittail. It was like uh, real time, real results, real traffic. That was the tagline. And I thought to myself, what the hell does that even mean? Like that doesn't have meaning to anyone, right? It kind of says real time, I mean, real results. Anyone can say that about anything. You know, it's just, it comes down to like the branding, the, the clutter on the front page. I'm um, just not really leading you through a, a nice path. And then the right. registration page was, you know, 20 form fields or something. I mean, you just don't, these are, mis- <laughs> these are common mistakes, but those really drive down conversion rates. And they add up, you add all this stuff up That's right. and it's, and it comes out, the result is just poor conversion. So I'm right. going to the homepage of Hittail now, and you've changed that to guaranteed to increase your organic search traffic, which yep. is just a much better proposition, isn't it, really? Right. At least it piques your interest. It's like, are you interested? Is You know, you might come and say, well, I, I don't really want organic search traffic, and then you leave. But if, if you do want it, at least you're going to read the next sentence, which then tells you how it does that. Drive well, you're also focusing search. on a result, right? This is yeah. going to solve a problem. If this is your problem, I'm telling you, we solve it. That's right. The, yeah, that's exactly right. It has, there's, there's, a couple, there's three elements I like to put in headlines. One is that it has a verb. One is that it makes a promise. And one is that it has you or your in the headline. So anytime I'm going to sit down and write a headline, and you'll notice this says guaranteed, which is my promise, to increase, that's my verb, your organic search traffic. And that's the you or the your part. A lot of times you'll see, you know, uh, some of the headline versions I had were things like hit tail, a real, real-time SEO keyword tool to show you terms you should target. And it's like, well, that doesn't... It's more describing the tool rather than right. promising you something, yeah, right? No it benefits. has much less bite. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah, because so. I don't... As a, as, a, as a customer, I care less about how you do it. I just... I mean, I want to know, can you do Can you do it? That's right. Is it going to work? Yep. At, at this point in time, since we've just said that, I think it may make sense to quickly say what Hittail does if, if, if there's like a, an elevator pitch. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so basically it shows you the keywords that you should be targeting in Google. It shows you the long tail keywords that you are not currently targeting that you should. And wh- the way it does that is it, you put a little JavaScript snippet on your site, which is just like Google Analytics type code. And every time you get a hit, that goes into our database and we have this algorithm that has analyzed 1.2 billion keywords. And over time, these guys honed it, and then I've even updated it several times in the last four months. And it looks at all your traffic, and it says, you, are, you have missed opportunities here. And so if you guys have ever gone into Google Analytics and you look at your long, uh, you know, your, your keyword list of, of how many, all the keywords that people use to hit your site, and you typically have a list of like 500 keywords or 1,000 keywords. This takes that list and it basically says, here are the 10 or here are the 20 that you should be targeting. Number one, if you write a blog post about any of them, you will be on the first page of Google for this. Number two, these have enough traffic that it's actually worth your while to do so. It's like each one of those keywords are a little investment for you. So you write some kind of article or put some piece of content about that keyword. And like over a year, you may do that 100 times. So now you'll have 100 articles that you will gradually, um, cumulatively, will create a lot more traffic. 
Although that's not, right. one of them won't create, you know, millions of hits, but it will just create a lot. That's right. That's exactly right. It's all about long tail. So it's not, you know, you can go to the Google AdWords keyword tool and I can type in, you know, whatever, uh, Twitter client, you know, a Twitter software. And you can see all the, all the head terms and that's what everyone's attacking because everyone uses that same database. Everyone uses the keyword tool, right? You go to Word Tracker, you go to Word Stream. There's a bunch of keyword tools that people use, but it, they all share the same data and all your competitors can see that. It, what yeah, it that's that is analyzes your, it's like a competitive advantage because no one else has your traffic. And so you're going after these keywords that are super non-competitive. They're not, but they're not head terms. They, they may have 25 visits a month. They may have 500. That's kind of the range. But it's like you said, if you write one a week over the course of a year, you will have this recurring traffic that just goes on and on and on that you'll get from Google. Now you've, you've signed me up to Hittail and I've had an account for six months and I keep on going in and having a look at it. And I see these suggestions and what I've come to realize is I wish that there was some kind of upsell where I could click a button and someone would write <laughs> that that's article for me. That's actually on my list right now. I have, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I have three different writers I can recommend to you that are not affiliated that I've used and I can send those to you. And I, I have that in all the marketing material. You know, when you start getting emails from Hittail, it says, if you don't have time to write, call one of these writers. But that actually is a feature on my list to implement where you could click a button and for X dollars, well, it'd probably be two or three different levels. Like you could go a really high end writer and maybe you pay, you know, 30, 50 bucks for a, a, you know, a 400 word blog post, or you can go with a lesser high end writer, you know, and maybe only pay 20 bucks or something. But that would, that yeah. would be awesome because that would give you the kind of end to end aspect of it. Cause right that's, now I've got to go away and think about writing that. And that's the reason why I pretty much haven't implemented any of the suggestions so far. Yep. I would agree. Right. I think, I think the, the real plus of Hittail is that it, it filters through a, a lot of analytics data. You know, that's the real crux of it. But I think the biggest weakness is that it adds tasks to your plate. And I need to figure out how not to do that, right? Yeah. It adds like work to you. And if I can get writers to do it, then it would actually, I think you're right, be a more beneficial tool. Yeah, you know, you, what you could do maybe is it would say, it would email you you know, once a week or once a month or how, what are some frequency it says, okay, these 10 terms um, are, you know, your keywords that you need to write about. And you've signed up for the such and such plan. Um, you have someone, you know, kind of like Audible, <laughs> you have so many credits mm -hmm. and you could just put them in a queue and they go to whichever, you know, to the writer, you know, at the level you're, I'm up, you're at the platinum level. So you have eight premium writer credits or whatever. And you can right. say just to this one, this one, this one to that guy and these three to this other writer and I'm done. That is, that is an interesting way to do it. I had, so the, I already do send, some people have get daily emails and some people get weekly, but you do get a keyword list of all your keywords if you want to, or you can unsubscribe from it, of course. And then uh, that's exactly what I was going to do was put a, a link, you know, if a link in there that's just like, turn this keyword into an article right now. And it just leads you to a page where you could pay, but you, you brought in a good point. Why not make that recurring? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's you'd be just like I with audible. Like I have all these audible credits because I'm not yep. listening to them, but I'm still paying for it. Right. Right. You know? And I think I mean, it would I just be, be that I just haven't gotten around just to be it. Easy but, yeah. as well. It just makes easier. it much easier. Yeah, exactly. Cause it, yeah, if you pre buy four per month then a, you're going to use them and B it makes it easier for everybody that you don't have to stink in any of your credentials or your, you know, your credit card every time you want to do anything. So, and, and then you and you can writers on staff because you have a, you have more, you have like a guaranteed stream. We all know having a, a recurring revenue stream is better than a, a non-recurring revenue. So I don't know I would be a, 
Great way to do it. You could also go fully end-to-end and get a WordPress plugin made that basically nope. pulls it directly from Hittail, the writer. Yep. So all you do is you just pay and you end up with high-quality targeted content on your website. Yep. Yeah, the WordPress plugin is also on my feature list, actually. That won't be, that won't be too hard to, to build. So, so this is, this is the, uh, just one of our uh, unsolicited advice segments. Yeah. There's, yeah. No, this, so it's coming up, I'm sure. But, yeah. but the, I think the point, to, the, the point to make here is that um, Hittail, in its own right, already provides a massive amount of value. Because, yeah. because you know, already you've, it's, it's um, giving you the search terms that you can optimize for. And traffic right. to your site is basically sales, you know. Right. So it's already it's already doing a good job. Okay, should we get back to the story then? <laughs> yeah. So uh, okay, so we're back in. We're actually in May of 2011. So it was right before MicroConf actually. And I think on it was June one. I just looked. June one of 2011. I emailed, just cold emailed the owner of Hittail, and uh, mentioned who I who I was. I tried to build some credibility in the email, and was kind of like, you know, I have a blog and a book, and this is what I do, and I'm interested in acquiring it. And I was trying to make her. I just had imagined that she probably received a bunch of these or something. And so I was trying to make myself stand out and uh, have some credibility that I could actually move forward with it. And we well, you think you would want to do that because because then she might be like, oh, wow, if Rob Walling, who know, knows this space, is interested, then actually we have something of value. Maybe we should give it another look. Potentially, but. Gosh, I just didn't think that would happen. I figured after three years, I mean, I knew it had been dying for a few years. I thought the only disadvantage of doing that was that maybe she would say, oh, well, this guy must have money to acquire. Maybe I'll try to jack the price up. Oh, that's what, actually, that's what I meant. So not yep. only that they'd want to keep doing it, but they're like, oh, he's, he's, he's a player, so he's going to yep. have money, right? Okay. And she, she did a little bit of that, but I basically told her, look, I, I can go build this, which in retrospect, it would have been really hard to build, but I thought that I could go build it for, you know, I'm trying to think what I said in the email. I think I was like, I could go build this for 15 grand with my offshore team. And uh, so you can sell it to me or I'll just go kind of build a similar, you know, idea behind it. Um, Which, like I said, now that I own the thing, it's like, no, I couldn't have done that. But what do you think it would have cost you? I think it would have cost me by the time to have what I have now. um, Gosh, probably would have cost with the hardware, with all the, by the time it was all said and done, um, Probably between thirty and well, but thirty and thirty-five grand software costs. But here's the thing: here's one of the real values behind Hittail was it was not the code. It was it was the well the data is one. The they had existing customers. They had a customer base. um, Gosh, I don't even what was it a hundred paying customers maybe somewhere in there. They had thirty-nine thousand people who had signed up at one point or another and had used it. Um, oh. They had freemium user base. They have links from TechCrunch. You know, like I said earlier, Inc., the Wall Street Journal, Business Week. So these are, it, it, re, it does really well in SEO, has an right. age domain, it was getting, you know, quite a bit of traffic per month. It was getting multiple trial signups per day. Like that, all that stuff is actually worth more to me than the code. Right. Because that's what I knew I could just tweak and, and tune and turn into a, a real revenue stream pretty quickly. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, um, so you really didn't want to build it, I guess. You you kind of knew this ahead of time, right? Yes, I did. That's right. <laughs> I didn't want to build. It. Yeah. And, so. Okay. No. No. Go on. Go on. Okay. So so that was June one, and then I left for MicroConf. I came back. And she asked me to sign an NDA before she gave me the data, which I thought was, I chuckled. Cause you know, we always say like, oh, grown NDAs, but um, I signed it, looked at the data 
And what was funny is her data, she gave me the data she thought was correct, but the database was such a mess by this time, like the customer database, that the numbers she was giving me were just, they were way off. Um, right. In terms of paying customers, like she didn't even really know how many paying customers they had. And <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. And they did, she, uh, it was telling her that she was getting like maybe twice the trials per day than she actually was. Um, and so there were there were things that happened but even with that like i still st you still feel like it was a good bargain absolutely i still got well, a good deal yeah how, how are you able to figure out that the numbers were off that from what she was giving you once i acquired it and really started getting into it and looking in the data um i just and as i started cleaning it up i realized there were just a bunch of kind of messed up records and paypal hadn't canceled certain accounts that showed up as open in the database but not in paypal you know, it was just all just going through the data in the first month or two after I owned it. Oh, so it wasn't like you. It wasn't like she was showing it to you, and then you and you figured it out with the sample no. data she gave you. It was later that you realized it was okay. later. Yep. And again, I don't. Th I truly don't think she was trying to pull anything over on me. These are the. I mean, she showed me the reports, and I could still see the reports, but they just weren't. The data was bad, and she didn't know that. You know. Well, what's the story with this company? Can you give us just a little synopsis sure. on who they were? Were they funded? Yeah. I mean, what, what was the story? They were, they were called Connors Communication, and they were a PR firm in New York, and they were pretty big time from what I understand. They had a lot of big brands that they represented back, uh, especially during, you know, as the dot-com stuff was going on. And so they, in the early 2000s, were cranking along, and then I think they even did well around this time, like 2005 to 2008. And um, they also did a lot of SEO, you know, in line with their, with their PR. And they had a, she had a team of people. I think at one point she said she had, I don't remember, it was like 25 employees or 50 employees. I mean, it was not, it was not a small operation. And it was mm -hmm. dealing with high-end brands that we would know. And they had a premium SEO product. And then Hittail, from what I can tell, was a, a really good lead gen thing for them. They tried to use it to generate SEO leads that okay. they could then bring into their higher-end products. So right. that was it. In 2000. Eight, they really slowed down, laid off a bunch of people when the recession hit, and then they, that's when development on Hittail stopped. So it was basically, she was still doing email support, but she was non-technical, and so as, I mean, hardware would fail, and that's what all the downtime was, and the thing got really slow because you can't, you know, you can't have a Windows box there up there for five or six years and a SQL Server database and, and a classic ASP running at this level without any, there was no re-indexing. There was no maintenance whatsoever for three years on this thing. Wow. Well, I guess that's a testament that it ran that long without any. That's exactly on. right. Yep. Huh. It was very, I mean, if, if you think about it that way, it was kind of, it was some pretty good code, like bulletproof stuff, you know? Right. Huh. So, okay. So that's their story. And, um, well, so they, so this is operated. This this little was like a company with inside a bigger company. Was it a subsidiary or was it just a product that was owned by the bigger just a company? product that was owned by the bigger company. Now, just by the time that you contacted the owner of this company, I mean, how many people were they? I don't even know if they are still around beyond a shell company. Like, I think she might be the only employee. I don't think they even do oh, PR. Wow. Yeah. Because oh wow. Okay. She. Yeah, she has kind of moved on to other stuff. And so that's where this was such a sweet spot. When I emailed her, she was totally ready to get this off her plate. Um, okay. When it would go down, she would like call the, the, you know, one of the two guys who had built it, who had worked for her previously. They now work at new companies and they're, one's like a CTO or a VP of something at a company. And it would be like his nights and weekends to try to rebuild the server because they had, they owned the physical hardware and it was really, it was commodity hardware they bought on eBay used. 
and back in 2008 2005 yeah 2005 2006 so yeah it was bad i mean it wasn't dell or hp stuff it was just no no name brand and it was in a you know in a co-location center somewhere and she was paying a lot of money to get it in she i think she had like a half a cage or a whole cage so it was was not cheap to have it hosted wow okay so so where were we in in the main story so we're in, we're basically, I'd emailed her, I signed the NDA and I got the metrics. And then we started going back and forth, negotiating price and terms. And um, we went back and forth, it turns out until late August or mid-August, I think. So what is that? A couple, that's two and a half months. And there were delays, you know, she would go off for a week or I'd go do something for a week, but we were really trying to get it through. I wanted, once I knew it was my next thing, I really wanted it to get going, you know? Right. It's kind of like you're going to buy that house and move in and improve it, and you just want to own it now. I mean, that's exactly the story. What were your negotiation tactics? I, I wouldn't say tactic. They were tactics as much as just letting her know that I was willing to buy it for a fair price, but there was no way I was going to pay um, some outrageous you know, dot-com multiple or anything. I mean, I right. said, look, I, I buy these all the time. You go on Flippa, and these, you know, these things are anywhere between four and 18 months of net profit. And that's not a, a lot of people want five years of, you know, like 60 months of net profit or, or Facebook's valued at whatever, $10 per free user. And it's like, I'm not doing any of that. Basically, if you want to sell me a real company that's, you know, based on actual numbers that are, that I've seen before, then let's do it. And um, so I was pretty upfront. I mean, dude, I'm a, right. I'm a software developer. So I'm like, I'm not super, how do you say it? Like swap. You're not a cutthroat negotiator. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had some good emails. I may, maybe I'll publish some of those emails someday. I did have some good lines in a few of them where she was pushing back and had, you know, I made an offer and then she came back with five times that number. <laughs> and, I, and I came back and I said, this is not like, there's no chance. You know, I can build it for less than my offer and then I can market it for about my offer. So for two times what I have, I can have, I can basically beat your service. And it, w- it was a little bit of bluffing, I'll admit, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but it did cause her to, she came way down. She dropped down to, I think, three times or five times or three times. And then, yeah, we just went back and forth. Well, because from her perspective, she's just got this thing that's just like a bit of a, you know, chain around her neck. An it albatross. Was. And, um, it was. what you know, what, what else, you know, what is she going to do with it? Yeah, it had some revenue. So it wasn't just like, you know. Nothing. What was the monthly revenue? It was, well, that's the other thing, right? It was, <laughs> it was a couple thousand bucks a few thousand. I'd say it was 20. It's kind of like what the trailing 12 month revenue was 2,300 bucks a month. Okay. But that's, but when I acquired it, that's not what the revenue was. Oh, so, that, so, so that's what you negotiated on. But actually the reality was it was more like a, a thousand or 1,500. Like right. Oh, yep. wow. Interesting. So, yep. so she did, she got a deal really based on the way that you were thinking about it. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I honestly don't think she got. I don't think. I don't feel like I overpaid. Right. It was all within a realm of fairness. It was it really it was parts of fair on either side for the quality of it. Because you go on, again, you go on Flippa and you get it between you know four and eighteen. This is not. But I mean, this thing has been on Inc. Magazine and TechCrunch and Business Week, and it has thousands of customers, and it has or thousands of users, and it has one point two billion keywords analyzed. It has an, a proprietary algorithm that really is. There's value in that algorithm. Like it does stuff that no no other service does. And so this is not just some 12 times monthly net profit thing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I knew that. I knew there was more value there. Um, 
So, 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 are you going for the big one? Do you want to rebuild this up and then sell it for a dot com kind of price? I don't. Th- I mean, that's not my goal. Um, truthfully, Justin, Justin's always thinking billion dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I'm always billion thinking billions, but I'm always earning thousands. <laughs> there is no, there's no <laughs> chance. That's, that's, yes. That should be your. Uh, that should be your book title. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm. I'm thinking billions, but I'm earning thousands. Yeah. yeah. Like confessions of a struggling entrepreneur or something. I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I don't have plans. I have a, a like a six month and a one year thing, and it's purely just like what I want to grow revenue to. Um, yeah, I think that's better. The short term goals you can manage. I mean, yeah, you can you can kind of have those moments where you have a little pie in the sky what things might look like in three to five years, but just focusing on the six month, three to six months, yep. what you can actually make happen. You know, is is, yep. is, is you know more important. I think. Right. Um, so, but real quick, so the final, can you give us the final purchase price? You know, I'd, somehow I don't feel comfortable with that. And I'm not sure. Why do I not feel comfortable with that? Like, because you, you haven't been on texting enough. I guess. Radical I, transparency, man. Yeah, there's some. <laughs> I mean, what, what, I mean, what difference does it make? I mean, we know, that it, we know that she told you it was earning around about 2000 So some kind of multiple of that. But that's fine. Right. I mean, you. Yeah, you you can kind of guess. You can guess from that. Justin, yeah. you wouldn't be a good investigative reporter. You're too easy on that. <laughs> He's not a yeah, our interviewees. You got to drill. Like, come on, give it to us. What's the what's the problem? I'm not sure why. I I will come out with it at some point, but for some reason, right now, I just yeah. Fine, be that way. It's obviously too low. You're embarrassed about what a good deal you got. That could be some. I've told several people, and they're like, what? Yeah. That's all you paid. And so, but then I'm sure I could say it and somebody would be like, oh my gosh, like I got totally ripped off. <laughs> but Well, actually, just, I mean, is it too early in the story to ask how has the re- rebrand and relaunch gone? Oh, no, Justin, you're well. You see, you always do that. Jumping way, you jump in like. <laughs> I'm curious. Five, I want to find out. Yeah, well, that's. Stick around so our, so our listeners. You want our listeners to like, you know, quit listening? No. They got to stick around for the ride. All right. All right, chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we finally negotiated final price, final terms, and she was actually slipping things in at the end. She was like, well, let's agree on this. And that, yes, I'm ready to go. I agree to it. And then this developer owns 10%. And so if you could just cover his, you know, add that on, and then you could cover legal fees. What? And then you could, uh, yeah, it totally, she had like the subject line of the email was like, yes, I agree, or we are a go. So it really, when I opened it, I was like, yes, we're totally going. And then as I read through it, I was like, wait a minute. She's trying to pull one over on me, you know? And it it's was just, totally- it's just like this HGTV commercial uh, t- uh, shows where they buy houses. It's like everybody wants their, the other party to cover closing costs or to pay for a yep. new roof or whatever. Exactly it's what always it that, that last phase of negotiation is like that, is that um, last $5,000 thing. You know? Yep. No, that's true. That's true. So she was trying to get it in one way or another. And I just basically told her I wasn't, I didn't go for any of that stuff. We, we'd agree it on the price and, uh, we moved forward with it. I had a lawyer drop the agreement and, um, yeah, we got that signed within a week or two. And then right at the end of August, probably August 25th, August 27th, I basically took ownership of this, of this thing. And I was scared. I was waiting any day. I was waiting for this thing to, to just go down because it, it was in a colo in New York city not managed. Like if it went down, I had, I had no one to go reboot it even. Well, what was she doing? 
she lives somewhere outside of New York, but she rarely went into there. I mean, I could have asked her, I'm sure, but <laughs> I knew that she was not going to go and spend a bunch of hours doing something. If, if hardware failed, I was going to probably gonna have to hop on a plane or try to find someone. And I was so that my number one priority was to get this thing stable and get it off of that hardware. And when was this exactly? Uh, like August 25th, August 27th, right around that. Yeah, you, you, came out, you came down to L.A. right around that time, and I remember you, you met uh, Justin yep. for lunch, and you met me for coffee. Was it right around that time? Was it before or after you bought it? It was before. I think you and I, we hung out maybe two weeks before that, when it was okay. like really finalizing. Yep, and, but I, I didn't own it yet. All right. What, what kind of um, operating system was it on when you, when you bought it? It was on Windows Server 2003, oh, wow. and it, it runs on classic ASP. It's coded. Well, at least it wasn't Windows Me. Yeah, wow. that, that's right. It was. <laughs> it could it have been worse. Stable. The the OS and the software was stable. It was the the hardware that would would fail. And they had had, like I said, a five day outage earlier in 2011, where just hardware two discs of a there's like a RAID 10 array of four discs, and two of them went out within a, a couple weeks of each other. So what, what did you do as soon as you bought it? Like, how did you sta- stabilize it or what? As soon as I bought it, I was on that thing. I, first of all, I cranked up my work schedule because, I mean, you guys know I worked when my kid was born, my second child. I worked like two days a week for about 10 months, eight or 10 months. Um, yeah. And I was like, that. this is my ramp up, you know? So I ramped up back up to four days a week and I started a whole, four to, days a whole week. four days wow that was really a lot I don't know how you do it Jesus it was yes yeah and uh you guys and I <laughs> but then I was doing four <laughs> uh, I feel like such a schmuck saying that it is funny <laughs> wow it's insane. four days and then I started it's doing like investment nights. banker hours yeah <laughs> So it was like four, seven, or eight well, hours. Because you're then. the Warren Buffett of small and sites, then, you know. So you've got all these sites that it's just bringing in revenue for you. This is great. And, and then I was started working nights as well. Once I got this, I started from like eight to midnight every night. I would Wait, go. You, you worked when it was dark outside. I did. Yes. This is. <laughs> uh, are you guys? Are you guys through? We're no, done. We're done. Let's. <laughs> Welcome to so, texting. Um, <laughs> I would expect nothing less. So yeah, I um. So I, crank, I cranked it up and just started focusing on this almost entirely. And I uh, basically automated a lot of the other stuff, uh, you know, my other businesses even more than they, than they already were. And so I dug into this thing and I started fixing bugs like crazy. There were features that were just, just not working at all, integrations that had broken. And I started commenting that out of the code, removing it from the app. No one was using it because it didn't work. And so no one really noticed. And I went in and tried to, I mean, the algorithm that was, you know, analyzing results was messed up because Google had changed the way it, it sent URLs through. And so I updated that and instantly saw this huge uptick. I mean, it was almost like a five, it was somewhere between five and 10 X in the, in terms of the number of suggestions that it offers at the same quality. Like it was just missing a bunch of suggestions because the algorithm hadn't been updated. Hey, and so, but did you leave the co- co-location there in, in New York or did you got buy it. this? Is that to California? Yeah, Street? Sorry. Yeah, that was the question you were asking. Um, what I did, I actually did, I went in right away and knew that I wanted to move it. And so I was going to try to do this myself. I mean, we're developers, right? I know how to move databases. But the database is 250 gigs. And yeah. my initial thing was like, no problem. I'll just do replication and blah, blah, blah. I'll put it and in Dropbox. Dude, <laughs> I, I just knew. Yeah, exa- this is exactly. And I was like, wait a minute. 
that'll take forever, you know? And so I hired, I finally broke down and this was the smartest thing I did at that point. I hired a DBA on Odesk, you know, just an hourly guy who was freaking phenomenal. And if I had not hired him, I don't, I would still be on those old servers because that guy basically saved my bacon and he was great. And he was cheap. I mean, he was 35 bucks an hour. He's in the UK and he just, he's one of, you know, it's like, he knows he does this every day, all day. And as soon as I showed him the thing, he's like, this is a mess. Here's what we're going to do. And he's telling me what to do. He's like, you're going to have those guys put it on a USB drive, overnight it to the new Colo. I'm going to set up replication. You know, we're going to sync it. We're going to, and then those guys are going to plug it in. I mean, he had the whole plan of how this thing would work because he's done this a zillion times. When you're making wow. your changes, are you making it on the live server or are you? Yes. <laughs> so so you was- edit a line of code and then you, it basically yep. goes straight live. It was awesome. Wait, why it the hell is this guy $35 an hour? I don't know, because he lives remotely. When he works on site, he's like 175 an hour, but he just was trying to get his Odesk stuff up. Uh, and so yeah. I think he'll raise his rates eventually, but um, I... He's going on any foo for sure. For 100 I, I was lucky to find him. <laughs> yeah, he knows big time SQL Server systems, with, you know, terabyte, terabyte systems, so... Oh. Um, so you yes. got the USB. Where did you co-locate? Or where did you did you co-locate or get managed servers or VPSs or what? I got a cloud server eventually, which was a real stretch. So I spent like weeks researching this before I acquired it because I knew it needed high disk I/O, and especially as it grows, you can't just slap this thing on a you know on a 5.4. Um, what do you call it? 5.4k RPM drive. It well, I thought you're talking about a floppy drive. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's five a, and a quarter floppy. Drive. Yeah. No, the, but it actually needs more. It needs 15, 15K drives in order to keep up with the disk I.O. Okay. And it needs to have low latency. So you can't just do a slow SAN connection. You know, it has very specific requirements. And m- most of the cloud servers, like ra- uh, Rackspace and, and SoftLayer and such, they use slower drives to keep them cheaper. Sure. And so I was looking at either getting a dedicated box and leasing it managed dedicated server or going with a cloud solution if I could find one fast enough. Because my core competency is not hardware. In no way did I want to ever get a call at two in the morning and be told that a disk drive had failed and that, or memory or anything had failed, right? You're like, I what's want, a disk drive? Yeah. I, will, I mean, yeah, I'm as good as you and, you know, as all of us with replacing them if they're in here in my desktop. But it's like for mission critical stuff, this is absolutely something I should outsource. There's, there's just no doubt in my mind. So... Right, I that's found- the worst call of the morning. Three in the morning. Yep. Wrong. Yes, your server is down. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, but the hard like I'm overnighting a hard drive or whatever, and having someone install it. I mean, it just it would be ridiculous. Like the fact that people do this for a living means they're going to do a way better job than I will. So I did eventually find uh, it's a small company, and I actually know the CTO is is how I eventually connected with him. He's a Microsoft MVP for IIS, and. They, they're called Orcs Web, and they're in, um, gosh, I think they're in Virginia. I mean, it's funny. It doesn't even really matter, right? <laughs> they're, <laughs> Orcs they're Web. The, so it's not even, a, yeah, it's okay. Orcs Web? Orcs Web, yeah, O-R-C-S Web. And that's where their, their data center is. And so it's, a cl- it's the only cloud server I could find that ran fast enough. And these guys are Windows only. They're like expert. There's a bunch of MVPs, and, you know, there's just a lot of, they're just known. Windows, yeah. So it's not Azure, that whole Windows, no. Microsoft not fabric, the cl- computing no fabric. because cl- classic asp wouldn't even run on that right that's, oh yeah that's a good point yeah yep, yep. well so did you did you do research and find out the web and turn it and just re- and just realize oh crap i 
I know this guy or did you call him and ask him? That isn't that, this is one of those things where I was looking at SoftLayer and Rackspace and I had probably five others and I just, I emailed him and I was like, hey, I have a question for you. I know you know a lot about hard drives and I wasn't even thinking that, you know, that I would host with them. And he writes back this long email and he's explaining how it works and how clouds, and of course, he knows 10 times more than I do about all the things you need to think about. And then he's like, if you, you know, if you have more questions, let's just, uh, let's figure out your real disk IO. Let's jump on Skype screen share. You can log into your server and I'll run some things. And so we have, he, I mean, just out of his goodness of his heart, basically. And we jump on and, and he spends an hour with me and I was like, oh my Lord, like I didn't know anything when we started. And now I know exactly what I need, what I needed. I knew the specs. I could, he could calculate it based on the current load and where I want it to go of like See, how this need to be. And I have no idea how to do that stuff. That's why it's so important that you could like just make a phone call and talk to an expert in some yep. field for like an hour. It is. I wish it, there was a service it, you could ah, do that. Someone should be come awesome. Up. Really would. Hey, so um, did he think you were just serving up a softball when you sent him that email? I don't think so. He's a, he's a really nice guy and he basically was, was helping me out. We had roomed together a couple times at the MVP summit in, my, in uh, Redmond and the Microsoft summit. And so it really was just a friend asking a friend a question, you know, and he was helping me out. And he basically said, here's what I think of these guys. And, oh, we also do this. We have a cloud offering and we happen to have that. And then I was like, oh, I'm intrigued, you know, but he totally didn't sell at all. He was just kind of showing some of the options he thought were out there. And it's so much better if you know someone at the company, especially if you know, like, the CEO, because you can just send them a personal email and say, hey, can you help me out? Yeah, you know, and I think he's, he's like a CTO or a VP or something, but or, yeah. Or but whatever, same, same thing. So how much, did it, how much do you pay per month for this uh, cloud offering for what you need? $933. A month. A month. That's a lot. Yeah, but it was more than that. <laughs> it was 1200 bucks a month when I bought it. Wow. And it was on old hardware. I mean, that was 1200 bucks just for the cage and power. Mm. And so I would have had to replace the hardware, you know, buy new servers and such. Um, it's at and then manage it yourself. And then manage it myself, right. <clears throat> so the, at 933, um, I, can, I could ratchet that down about another 80 bucks if I wanted to right now. Remember, it's cloud. So I can basically email them right now and say, give me another 20 gigs of RAM and it'll be there. They've re, you know, they have to, I think they have to reboot. So they do it at like 3 a.m. tonight and right. I'd have another 20 gigs. And I'd pay for it, but I don't, there's no physical manipulation, which I really like. And I told them when I brought the database over, I was like, oh, I need 400 gigs. And then like, ah, I forgot, I need to back this thing up. So I need another 400 gigs. And they just had that to me, you know, by the next day, like there was no physical drive stuff. So what I like about it is I can decrease it if I want. If the service were to shrink or something, I can start, I can reduce processors, I can reduce cost, but I can also, this thing can hold a heck of a lot more volume, uh, you know, a lot more volume than it does now. Is that what it needs to um, basically yes. to cater to 100 paying customers? It needs $900 a month. Yeah, no, it has it has a lot more than that now. Um, I'm up over 200 customers now since I acquired it. And there are, there's still people left, some people from the free plan. And there's also just data coming in um, from people who have canceled their accounts, but the data continues to come in. And that's a whole, I mean, these are a bunch of loose ends that they get an email every month and it tells, ask them to remove the code. And then if they don't, then I go in and I actually block it at DNS, block their requests. So right. uh, all that to say, there is more going on than just, you know, 100, 200 customers. And this is, 
it's one of those things where, no, this could scale up to maybe 500 paying customers as it is now. I see. Right. But I can't really reduce it much more to, and support the load it has now, you know, if that makes sense. Right. You're going to have to maybe re-architect the system or something. Right, yeah. Some code. Be, I've already talked to the DBA and we have a plan. We would go to a physical box then and it would probably double our capacity at that point. Go to a dedicated okay. server. Yeah. It would... We'd go with super fast drives and we go with a, you know, he has all this stuff in mind if, if we need to go. So that's the cool thing is since he did the migration, he knows the system now and he, he maintains it. He spends maybe one to two hours a month managing the backups because I don't know how, I mean, I, I could figure that stuff out, but it's like, what a waste of my time and I'm not going to do it right, you know? But you know, I mean, seriously, um, with the kind of stuff that Jason's doing with the dispatch server at Uber and using Node and uh, was it Mongo or I'm not sure which, which database? Mongo and Redis, he's a few different things now, yeah. Uh, but but you, you, could, you could get to a point where if you reworked it using that technology, it would be an awful lot cheaper to run. Was, was there any, Absolutely. is that worth it to you? It's not at this point. Um, before I acquired it, I said, oh, I'm totally going to have this thing rewritten in PHP, the web app side, and I'm totally going to have the the tracking side where all the data comes in, Node.js over probably Mongo. And as I've gotten into it, it's like, good Lord, the, by the time I got that going, A, it would be thirty dollars to $35,000, and B, it would probably take me six months before it actually worked the way I wanted it to. And it would be right. just completely taking my eye off the ball for that amount of time to manage. Yeah, well, it if, sure if you could build this business up for the next, you know, whatever six months, and the revenue is coming in to make it worth spending That's the money thing, right? on, then yeah, yeah. Let's let's say I get this thing. I'm just throwing a number. Let's say I get this thing to ten grand a month in the next six to six to twelve months. What what is a thousand dollars in hosting or fifteen hundred in hosting? You know what I'm saying? Whereas yeah. if I have this thing rewritten now so that I can somehow scale it to infinitum, I'm going to basically put out my timetable. I, I'm not going to be able to grow this thing during that six to 12 months because I'm going to be screwing yep. around, screwing around with it. And I don't plan yeah, to go to a billion dollar company. So it doesn't need to scale infinitely. It really just needs to scale to a couple servers. You which know? is good because you're thinking like a businessman and not like a technologist at this point. Yeah. yeah it's first, that's right. technology second. That's know? right. Yeah. You're cool. Okay. So that brings me to my next question, which is, have you been doing the developing yourself on this or have you brought in a team? Both. So I've done early on, I was doing all the coding because I just wanted, it was all fixes. There was no new code and I just wanted to learn the app. And that was probably the most powerful, like I would highly recommend that if anyone acquires an app to do, to work on it yourself for a while. And I spent uh, a month pretty hard just getting into the code base and digging into it. It's not huge, but it's big enough and it's pretty complex at times, especially the way it's architected. And so without that, if I just brought a team in from the start, I wouldn't be, have been able to do a lot of the things that I'm doing now. Um, I, I got a bug report yesterday and it was just a simple thing of like, you know, carrots, uh, open, you know, less than and, and a greater than sign or, or included in a URL and it was crashing some guy's page and I knew exactly where that was and it took me like 10 minutes to fix. Back three months ago, it probably would have taken me four hours to find it. Right. Like, that hard, you know, it's that big of a difference. So I, so, so, so when you dug, when you dug into, okay, I'm sorry, finish what you're saying, then I have a question. Yeah. And so, but I did, but I pretty quickly brought on a .NET again through Odesk. So it's not like they're salary guys. These are contractors working hourly as I have tasks. I brought on a .NET guy and I brought on a classic ASP guy. And the reason I did two is because I couldn't find one person who I felt was good enough at both. Isn't that a trip? Hmm. I, I, I really wished I could, but everyone who was into .NET I felt like was really good. They've only been doing it for three or four years, maybe five. And they're not, 
they classic ASP was like 10 years ago now. Yeah. And so, and then this guy happens to have maintained a bunch of classic ASP apps. And so I need, and I need both because a lot of the new uh, scheduled tasks and a lot of the new stuff that runs on the server that's not affiliated with, with the app, I want in .NET just because it's easier to step through and it, there's no reason for it to not be in .NET. Yeah, it's like uh, it's hard to find a good Node.js slash COBOL coder. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, and then... You, the, you went and, um, and you said you, were, you dug into the code yourself. I mean, did you get in and, and, and sort of like reformat the code and make annotations and comment? I mean, what did you do when you, so you dug into it? If you weren't fixing it, I mean, how did you get to know it? I was, fix, I was fixing it. Yeah, I got to know it. I added a few comments here and there, but I really chased down... the. I chased down the architecture and I chased down through all the includes. The architecture is not very good. And so it's very confusing. And I learned how they had architected it and how they had made pages that shouldn't have Ajax on them, have Ajax on them. And how a page will have like seven different includes. So when you see a function call, you have no idea where that thing is. And now I know where those things reside and how the kind of the path, you know, how, the, how it goes from the top level down to the database and such. Right. Okay. So that's what I was doing. I was really hacking away at the code. I was fixing, fixing and commenting out for like weeks. That's all I was doing. Right. You had your weed wow. whack. Yeah, I totally did, man. I was commenting out big pieces. I was, um, and I was, I had hired the DBA and he was prepping things at that point, prepping the new server and then getting replication in place. And so, so stuff was going on in parallel, you know? Right. Right. Okay. So you got these, you got this ASP guy, you got, you got the gray beard with ASP guy, and then you got your, 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 your .NET whippersnapper all yep. ready to go. These guys hadn't, actually, the ASP guy and the .NET guy didn't come in until, like, October. So this oh. was, like, August, September is when the, the DBA and I moved it. We moved it towards the end of September. Um, and that was nice. I, so I did pay dual hosting for one month, which was brutal. You know, it was up over two grand. And, right. um, and then... Once we got it moved, so like I said, my, I had three goals when I acquired the thing. The first was stability. The second was plugging the funnel, meaning getting the marketing better. And then the third sure. is to spread the word. And right. the spread the word stuff just started last week, actually. Um, so yeah, the, the big kind of culmination of, of the stability thing of getting it to the new server was a Thursday night that I just I straight up pulled an all-nighter, scheduled the shutdown. It was awesome. I mean, I was intentional. Like, <laughs> we are going to move it. And I, I, just, I stayed up till like eight in the morning. <laughs> like I stayed I, up till midnight. It was yeah, totally. on, your, on your fifth day, did you do a five day work week? I, oh, that, uh, that was Thursday night. So that was my fourth day. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. On the fifth day he rested. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, no, it felt so great. I have this huge, I, I have a blog post I'm going to publish about it, but it's so much, it was catastrophic how much stuff went wrong, how much we had planned and how many things just hit the fan that night. And I was at one point downloading like JavaScript libraries and compiling them into .NET. <laughs> yeah, what's it saying that no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy? It was, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, you, so what, what went wrong? Um, all kinds of stuff. The database replication looked like it was working, but when we actually got there, it had shut down 60 hours before. And since this database is so real-time, 60 hours is actually quite a bit of data. Wow. And so we were trying to get that data moved over, but it was taking way, way too long. And then we tried to bring it over in a big chunk and just insert it. And the algorithm didn't run. So we had like, I don't even know, a million keywords that were inserted, but no suggestions showed up because it hadn't run through the algorithm. So then I had to go back, select them out, write. I spent like three hours at, you know, two in the morning to five in the morning writing something in .NET, 
basically recreating the algorithm in .NET and pulling them out. And, you know, it's, it was that kind of stuff where it's like right. nothing you would expect to happen happened. Yeah. But it was yeah. fun. It was, it was really, I mean, I was drinking caffeine and, you know, I was on Skype with the DBA and we were just kind of chuckling. The cool thing was he was in the UK, so it was his daytime. And, right. or maybe his evening. No, it was his day. It was, it was, it was, it was like, yeah. get, it was really early morning for him probably by the time yeah. he started. It was late it was night. 10 PM. Right. It was like 6 AM his time. And it was cool. Cause he was pretty sensible and could think really straight. And I started losing it. You know, I mean, you're up to <laughs> 6 AM and I really, I got loopy, you know? Right. <laughs> okay. So you got it pushed and am I allowed to ask the question yet? Like how well has no, it done? No, we, we're going to work on the timeline. Don't jump ahead. Uh. You can't jump like chapter 12. We're chapter six now. We can't be in chapter six. We must be in chapter 11 at least. I don't know. He's the tell the story. You're not the storyteller. Let the storyteller tell the story. Don't say tell chapter, it, Rob. Don't say chapter 11 to a businessman. Yeah, no. so, <laughs> so, so, okay. So what happened next? So, uh, so yeah, that, that one was, uh, there was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders, frankly. Every day since, I mean, I owned it for almost a month on the old hardware and I was literally like every day thinking about it, thinking that it was going to crash. And actually, oh, that's the, gosh, I forgot the whole punchline of this thing. We were going to move it Thursday night, 10 p.m. is when the migration started. All the customers knew. I had emailed everyone. Things are going to go down. Don't sweat it. You know, you're not going to lose data, blah, blah, blah. And at noon on Thursday, the, the hardware fails. No. Seriously, the hardware <laughs> fails. And it, it just starts going down and it's uh, what we, I was concerned we were going to lose data and it was down and then it was up and then it was down and then it was up. And they had two servers that we were combining into one database and it was only one of the databases that was going down, luckily. And we already had all that data. And so I just it's shut it down. down. It's going down before you moved it over. That's right. It was going down at noon and we were going to move it like 10 hours later. <laughs> yep. That's we, almost what happened with Uber when we were moving everything from PHP to, I mean, the server literally like fell over and died like an hour after we moved everything over to, from PHP to Node and everything. So yep. I know yeah. the situation, yeah. It was totally in the nick of time. And I mean, that's, it was, so it was a happy ending. I mean, if, if we'd waited even a week more, I'd, I don't know what would have happened, you know? Wow. So, so you moved everything over and then you got yep. everything up. And then what was the next plan? Next plan was to get this thing because the, the app itself worked really well then. And it was way faster, you know, and I, I was confident then to even recommend it to people. Like I started talking about it a little bit on the podcast, which I didn't at all before then, because I did not want people I know using it, right? Before, <laughs> right. Then, because I did not want my app to crash and lose everyone's data. Except for me. Yeah. Did I have you on already? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Just it doesn't matter. What's yeah. he going to do? Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's right. true. There were actually you just, if 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 he If he gets a little uppity, you just disinvite him for you know, to uh, microconf, you know. So. Right. But no, you know what? It's, I think it's because you told me about Hittel and you, and you kind of said it kind of hesitantly, you can sign up and check it out if you want. And I did anyway. So. Yeah. And there were, there were probably five people I knew on it, but I was not talking about it publicly at all at the yeah. point. So once it was stable, then the number two, the next goal was basically a redesign, like plug the funnel. So it was a, re, a visual redesign because it was just, you know, such an ugly website. And it was a redesign of, traffic comes to this site from all these different sources and it, it, it traffic just wanders around and wanders off. Like there's no, there's no like buttons saying, Hey, we're a pretty cool service. Come sign up. You know, there was just no thought put into actually wandering around like, you know, I don't it, even know what I'm doing here anymore. Yep. You totally could just wander around that old site for hours and like not have any idea what's going on. So that was number two. And I was thinking, boy, I'm going to crank this thing out and have this done in 30 days, 30 to 45 days. And that took me three months and I just got it done about, 
eight, eight or nine days ago. Well, and explain was, the process. Why did it take so long? And you know, what was, was the Yeah, what happened is I wanted to go. Um, so it, it, in my book, there are, well, at least in the people I use, there are four different levels of kind of web design. Uh, the cheapest and the one that I use when I'm just kind of cranking, if I don't have money or don't have time, I'll install WordPress, get a premium theme, boom, right? So if, if brand new startups, I often say like, do that. Doesn't look the best, but it, it's it's stable and it looks good and it's cheap. And then I have a guy I use overseas who's, you know, f- for a full website with HTML and stuff, all done is like 1200 bucks. And it's reasonable. That's what .NET Invoice is. You can go to .netinvoice.com and see that. And it's good. And then there's a guy I use who's like maybe twice that. And then this, I'd never really gone above that. And for Hittail, I wanted it to be bigger. And so I found, I asked around, and I actually got the guy who designed uh, Bid Sketch. You know, Ruben Gomez. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. So the guy's name is Ryan Scherf, and he is freaking unbelievably talented. <laughs> I'm not just saying this, like this guy's awesome, but he's very expensive. Um, he doesn't do HTML at all. And just his design price is, is expensive. And, and uh, so I went with him. And he was super fast. Like he would, he'd crank out the comp. I would give him feedback. And like hour or two later, he would like rework the whole thing. So the, the sales site itself, the marketing website went very fast. And I think I had a complete design that I was just enamored with within like 10 days. Well, and that's great. But the, the problem is that, well, there were two things. One, I was starting to run out of money at this point because I had spent so much on it. Um, this was actually when Jason Cohen asked me to, to invest in WP Engine, and I agreed to right. that, so I wrote him a check, and I paid this high-end designer, and I had just paid double monthly hosting and a DBA, you know, on and on and on. And you had just bought the whole company, right? The hit tail, right. So I'd written just a bunch of checks, and I started realizing, like, I'm getting way low on funds, and I couldn't afford to have this high-end designer do the app as well. He, he did just you get did a tap on the shoulder from your wife? No, like, no, you it was me. Doing, mister? I keep uh, I keep things separate, um, but I got to tap on my shoulder for myself. And I was like, okay. well, I'm going to have to borrow money from my wife, you know, from our personal account. Um, it never came to that. But so that was one thing. And the other thing is the Hittail website is actually a pretty good marketing website and it's uh, 200 pages. And that is not trivial. And they're all, there's no includes. It was all 200 static pages. Wow. So you can imagine implementing a new design on 200 pages and, and doing the includes. I shouldn't say there were no includes. There were very few. There were maybe 20 out of 200. So that is when I brought the, the developers on because I was not going to do that myself. So the actual website itself has 200 pages, not the marketing site. The marketing site has 200 pages. Where are they? I'm just looking at it right now. It just seems like a very simple full-page marketing site. You're on the, the dub, 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 right? Oh, okay. So it's the old one. No, no, no. The old one does too. But if you go down to the bottom and you go to the FAQ, yeah. you go to the site map. Ah, right, right. So you go th- around there, um, you will wander. The site map doesn't have every page. It has like main pages and those will fan out. And e- some of them will be like 10 pages alone. Cool. In addition, that there's a blog that I didn't include because you can really retheme that in one place. But that was um, that has about another 1,000, 500 to 1,000. And the forum has another 500 to 1,000. So the site is actually nice. It has a really wide surface area in Google, which is great because it brings in a lot of organic traffic, mm. but pain in the ass to rescan, <laughs> right? Because it wasn't architected well. So that's when I, I went to Odesk and I looked for a classic ASP guy because the site was built there and I didn't want to be recoding stuff. And um, he came in and I had him reskin the whole thing after the designer, you know, I, I had the designer, sent it to psd.html.com, got the CSS back and then had the, that guy do it. 
Um, and that took a while. That took longer than I would have liked. Um, and not because of him. It just, it was, a, it was pretty damn complicated to go through all his pages. And a lot of them I wanted to ditch um, because they just were dead links or they, you know, didn't have relevant information anymore. So there was just a lot of decision-making that happened. And um, that took a while. And then I went and found another designer uh, and because I couldn't afford the other guy for the last, you know, the app, app part of it. And th the second designer was good. I really liked the design, but he took a long time. He took over a month, probably four to five weeks to design the app. Wow. I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, and I don't regret doing that. I, I really was low. Things are much better now, but, um, and if I, you know, if I had it now, I would have the Ryan do the both of them, but, uh, that was the delay, man. And then once I got the HTML for the app, um, I realized I started specking it out. I was like, we're going to rewrite this thing in MVC, you know, ASP.NET and MVC. And I handed it to the .NET developer and we started talking and I realized there was no chance. This, it would probably take in three months to do. And mm. this was in December. Yeah. yeah. And so I chugged down. I, I just put my head down for about three weeks. And that was when I actually, you guys can mock me all you want, but no, I, I pulled a bunch of 2 a.m. nights and <laughs> really actually worked full work weeks. <laughs> that was a number of times I worked after dinner. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. So uh, and that was it. So you, you, what were you doing? You were just doing was, more. You, were, you didn't change it to MVC. You just stayed with classic ASP. Stayed with the ASP because it it's spaghetti ASP and it's handwritten Ajax because they built it before jQuery. So it's all hand-coded. It's thousands of lines of hand-coded stuff. Wow, and right. if you start messing, you try to rewrite that, I thought I was like, oh, jQuery will do that in one line. But it's like, no, because there's a bunch of custom ifs in there. When this happens, it scripts out this. And I was taking HTML, CSS and applying it over that design. And I'd hoped it would take less than a week. And it wound up taking me, a little, you know, three and a half weeks of hard, you know, probably the hardest or the longest weeks I've done in, in a long time. Well, honestly, you've done a great job because looking at it, it looks very, very clean. And uh, it, it looks it looks like you could imagine it having a great back end, but obviously it doesn't. So, so, this, so, and then you, but you pulled in 200 customers in that yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing other stuff, you know, in November, <laughs> December, I was trying to, in addition to plugging the funnel, one part of that was the, the UI design I just talked about. The other part was things like people would sign up for trials and they could log in and they could install the code and stuff. And then they, but they would never hear from Hittail. Like you need to send people emails, you know, during the trial and be like, hey, what's going on? And if they're not getting, if they haven't installed the code, you need to say, hey, do you need help? And, you know, there's just certain things you need to kind of ping people. So that's where, where I brought the .NET guy on. And I said, we're going to build a bunch of basically cron jobs, right? But they're just .NET console apps. And I put them in wi Windows Scheduler. And so every night, you know, it runs. And if you're in a trial and you're on a certain day, you get a specific email that tells you something or asks you something. Um, and... What was the other thing? Oh, I started doing the weekly keyword emails, which had broken years ago. So I had that redone as well. Then I went in and looked at the most recent, maybe a couple thousand folks who had canceled. And I contacted right. them and I said, look, I'm, re I'm rebuilding this thing. You know, like it's stable. Go ahead and, and sign up. If you, if you actually liked the service and you quit because of downtime, then you should come back was basically the gist of the email. How, many of, the, how many of those people were there? There was a total, so there were two groups. There was a group of 1,500 that had canceled. And out of those, I got about 75 back. That's not bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. 
And then there was another group of about 2,500 who were on the old, old, old freemium plan. So they were just free on the server and they actually were sending a crap ton of traffic. And I had, I let them know like, I, this is not sustainable. You know, I know that you're going to be disappointed, but I need to terminate the freemium plan basically. And I will give you a good deal. And, you know, we tried to make it as soft as possible. Um, but there were about 2,500 of those. And I got very few complaints, frankly. I got a, I got maybe 20, 25 signups. And then I got people saying, well, I have a blog that doesn't make money and so I can't afford it. Um, I got some of those. And I actually did, I comped a few people who had, who really are like they have nonprofit websites or they have a nonprofit blog. And it's like, okay, I, I, I can comp 10 of you, you know, but I just can't right. have 2,500 people basically sucking up the, the disk IO. Right, right, right. So 20, so about 20, so 75 from the can, cancellations and 25 freemium upgrades. Give or take, yeah. Might have been so. 75 and 30 or 80 and 30 or something, but yeah. So everyone you've pulled in has, have, have to this point, have been previous customers or have a previous that's, connection with the tail. So that's actually not entirely true. There are, you know, I don't know the exact number of customers I could query right now, but there's probably another 20 people, 25 people who've signed up just purely from finding it and, you know, starting a trial and signing up. So there are more right. than 200 customers. I don't, I mean, okay. there may have been 110 when I started and there might be 250 now. I mean, it's somewhere in okay. that ballpark. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. So now, so I guess, are we at the point now where Justin's question is applicable? The, uh, how, how is it doing or how do you feeling about the growth? Is that sort of the, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so that's Justin, actually still on the show. Still, Justin, are you still on the show or did you take off? I'm on the show waiting for the answer to that question. <laughs> that's all. He's like, good Lord, for the love of God, man, get to the punchline. <laughs> so that's phase three started for me. You know, at first was stability. Second one was plugging the funnel. And then once the funnel's plugged and I feel good about it, like it's unleashed the hordes of people who want to use the service. It's my spread the word. Unleash the Kraken. Exactly. <laughs> Which started like eight days ago. And so that's why I'm now contacted. Yeah, I put off a bunch of podcast uh, interviews. You guys had emailed. I mean, uh, Jason, you emailed me in November probably. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it now. But don't bother me. You know, like, let right, me get yeah, yeah. Buy up. Um, I'm probably going to go on Mixer G here in the next few weeks. Andrew emailed. I mean, he asked me like last, geez, July, August. And I was like, no, I'm going to buy this thing. I don't want to talk about it now. So, um, and I just have this big marketing. I have like an 11 page marketing plan that I put together um, that I'm going to, that I've started hitting up. Um, I've had a virtual assistant. I, I put a virtual assistant in charge of email support as of last week. And that's a big transition point as well. Cause that frees up time. Um, the four months of support that I did was insanely valuable because I got to meet a bunch of customers, learn about their issues, map out common questions, fix a bunch of stuff. But now that I've handed it off to my VA, who I also found on Odesk, it's like, this is a big ad for Odesk, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's like been so cool these last couple of days, just not, not having to respond to it. So it's phase three now and it's kind of uh, growth basically. Um, and as of today, I feel pretty damn good about where it is. Um, having reduced the hosting cost, more than doubled the subscriber base and changed the whole billing system. It doesn't use PayPal anymore. It uses Stripe on the back end. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because I heard you talking yeah. about that on uh, Startups for the Rest of Us. Mm -hmm. So why did you move from PayPal to Stripe? So, well, the old way of, do, of signing up for Hittail, you actually left the Hittail site, went to PayPal, logged in, got a subscription, and then you know came back to Hittail. So it's a crummy user experience. In addition, PayPal subscriptions, the basic ones like that, they suck. They cancel themselves for random reasons. Yeah. 
they, they're totally not editable. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons not to use them. They're great for when you're getting started, but at this point, there's, there's no reason not to move to a, a, you know, a credit card processor. And so I was going to go with Hittail, I'm sorry, PayPal's Web Payments Pro, which is their credit card processing thing. <clears throat> but I selected that I was uh, in the online marketing. You know, what does your tool do? Well, it's an, kind of an online marketing tool. And they rejected me and they're like, we don't, internet marketing, online marketing is too high risk. And once you're rejected, your PayPal account is rejected from that, you can never get in. So oh, I was like, geez. dang it, I have a bunch of PayPal accounts already with Web Payments <laughs> Pro. Should I use those? And I was kind of looking around and then, yeah, I've heard enough about Stripe that I wanted to give them a shot. And so that's well, what Because we were just talking about this in the last show and, and Justin was pointing out that Stripe is what, 2.9% um, plus 30 cents. Whereas... Um, PayPal starts around that, but they go. But once you hit like a certain amount per month, it goes down much lower. Is yeah, that you right? Can get to one. I think you can get to one point nine percent. I think if, with volume. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Is that sound right to you, Rob? It, I haven't heard that. I've 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 always seen PayPal be a flat rate. You can get but... to two. You can definitely get to two point two percent. No, it does have price breaks. Um, okay, you guys talk amongst yourselves, and I'll, I'll find out what those price breaks now, are. The other thing about PayPal <laughs> yeah. is it has a thirty dollar a month. PayPal Web Payments Pro has a thirty dollar a month. Fee. Just but that's nothing, right? I mean, once you're making thousands of dollars a month, I mean, who that's cares? Not, once you're doing it, it's nothing. Stripe has no monthly fee. Uh, Authorized.net tends to be around. They don't tell you this. They're like, oh, it's thirty, forty dollars, but it's like seventy-five by the time you pay all their crap. So, and you have a merchant account, right? You have to get a merchant account and a gateway, and that all adds up to about seventy-five to a hundred a month. But what what is that? What is the percent charge when you use Authorized.net? Oh. That's right. It's uh, it's it depends on who you go through because it's this big. It's very opaque, but you can get around two point one to two point two percent plus okay. thirty cents or thirty five cents per transaction. So PayPal may be cheaper than that if Justin is right, but he may be wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere. It really it's like you're saying. Unless you're doing ten grand a month, um, the percentage doesn't actually matter that much. Okay, and- I can I can give you the pricing now. So okay. um, PayPal starts off from zero to three thousand dollars. It's two point nine percent and thirty cents, the same as Stripe. Then, if you go over three thousand dollars revenue to ten thousand, you get it for two point five percent with thirty cents per transaction. And then, if you go over ten thousand dollars, it goes down to two point two percent per transaction. So, once you start to grow, it might be the kind of thing that you might move, want to move out of Stripe again and back to PayPal. <laughs> Perhaps or, uh, Web uh, Payments Pro, I guess. Well, you, he, he couldn't because he'll never get back in. But but well, you him. maybe may go to some other merchant's account. You know, I could, it could well, happen. Did you look in a Braintree? I did, and I'm trying to think of why I didn't go with them. Well, I actually liked the way um, I liked how simple Stripe's API was. Mm, so uh, simple. And, and Braintree is not. I mean, it's really not a big deal. But they're not. They're not actually that cheap. I think for what I needed, it was almost a hundred bucks a month or eighty bucks a month. Yeah, it was like a hundred bucks a month. Um, so yeah, that was right. it. yeah, I think Stripe, so it sounds like, I mean, for, for just starting out, Stripe is great. I mean, for, yeah. I don't mean just starting out, but I mean, for, for smaller businesses, I mean, mm-hmm. and once you get to scale and you're making something like 10 grand a month, then it's like, well, maybe it's look, you know, look around to, um, a merchant account or whatever. But I mean, I, I implemented, um, uh, Stripe in any foods payment system and Justin did it with uh, Plugio and you know it is it's as simple as we it both gets. had it really easy and and also the S- Stripe subscription stuff is is really easy as well and it does the the one complicated thing is the pro rata so if if your customer decides to change a plan in the middle of a plan 
it's a real pain to kind of work out how much money you owe them back or how much they owe you. But Stripe, with Stripe, that's all built in. Just change the subscription at, at the beginning of next month. They will automatically bill the customer the correct amount. Nice. Yeah, yeah I'm not good. using Stripe subscriptions, but I have heard that they're cool. I'm just doing straight billing. So. Yeah. Wait, what is that? Um, well, I mean, you're, you're, you, you do have a subscription service, right? Yeah, but I have a cron job that runs and does the subscription billing for me. You know, it runs every night. So I have to what? do the subscription logic because I, there was some control. I need to do metered charges. So one month you could be paying nineteen ninety five, and the next month you might pay thirty nine ninety five, depending on how many, how much traffic you sent. Um, okay. And it was it was more of a challenge. It, I shouldn't say that. It's not like one month to the next. It can just switch randomly. It you have to go over for two months in a row. You, we contact you. We talk about it. But I needed to be able to really easily go between different plans and different prices and. The more I read into their subscription API, the more I was concerned that it might restrict me down the line from being able to test things that I want to test with pricing and with uh, yeah with revenue models. So that was it. It was easy enough. Again, I had a .NET guy who's I can outsource to, and so for me, I just spec'd it and he wrote it right. So it wasn't my time, and he wasn't actually that expensive. I mean, it was uh, I'm trying to even think how long it took him twenty thirty hours. So not a big sacrifice for me to to have ultimate complete crazy flexibility you know yeah 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 that makes sense that makes sense yeah so what's the um what's the near term what's the next three to six months looking like for you it is going to be um well i mean i guess it's going to be a lot of adding some simple features like we've talked about today like trying to get more ability for people to be able to you know get an article written quickly maybe get a wordpress plugin um, I'm actually going to be integrating with a lot of, um, or trying to integrate with shopping cart software because that one of the key demographics of, uh, you know, that uses Hittail gets a lot of value out of it is our e-commerce websites, because you think about it, the long tail is super pow- powerful for them because right. the long tail terms tend to convert better. And an e-commerce website with 200, 500, a thousand products has each of those on a separate page. So they have this huge footprint and Hittail works with that really well. And it'll recommend, hey, change this product title to this or add this product add this product as another product with a different title, you know, or slightly change the wording here and it can really get them ranking. A lot of these e-commerce sites use long tail SEO. So I'm going to be starting to integrate with Magento and uh, a couple other, there's actually been two vendors who have contacted me. So I'm I had a my .NET guy build a little API, a REST API, and I'm going to get started on that in the next couple of weeks of starting to build plugins for all these these systems to integrate with them. Right. So I actually got a uh, I got some more unsolicited, unsolicited advice. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know we've talked about Stripe, who we're going to be interviewing in two weeks from now, but um, next week we're interviewing uh, Kaggle, which is a, sur- a site where you can upload your data and like and you can offer a bounty sort of like a challenge, kind of like the Netflix challenge. And all these machine learning data um, people will come on and, and compete to see who can improve the algorithm, who can come up with the best algorithm. Got it. Yeah, I so, saw that. So if at some point, I don't know if it applies to this or not, but if to improve your recommendation engine, um, it might be worth at some point looking at Kaggle to, as, a, as a way to do that. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, that would be a trip. I should. I'll give it a shot, or I'll give it at least because a that's a, that's your key. That's your key value add is right. Is like it is. 
is 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 the power of recommendation, the data, but then the power of the recommendation engine on top of the data. So right. talk about you know, a niche offering. How how do Kaggle make money from that? Um, you know, I guess they they probably charge a percentage of the the bounty, right? So if you put like a ten thousand dollar bounty, then they probably take some percentage of that. But we'll find out next week. We're gonna have them interviewing them on Wednesday or something, right? All right. Well, um, you I can ask them. I got a question for Rob. Yeah. From this whole journey that you've done to to buy Hittail and, and push it out and, and rework it. Are there any kind of big lessons that, that take homes that you think would be useful for our listeners to hear? You mean in terms of just, is, is there anything applicable to general listeners or is this a very personal journey for you? I see. Well, yeah, I mean, there's things like I could never be where I am right now if I had not outsourced a ton of this stuff. I mean, I've outsourced hundreds of hours worth of work. So right. yeah, it would be another month or two until I could get there. B, a lot of them did it better than I did, you know? So I really do. I mean, this has been a thing of mine for a long time, like outsource. And it doesn't necessarily have to be cheap offshore labor. It, it can be expensive folks, as I did with the design. Um, I think another thing is that, um, I mean, it's not necessarily as applicable from directly from Hittail, but I really do think that if, if you're just starting out and you have a new startup or you have a new idea, you don't need to do the high-end design thing. Like, I truly do believe those four layers that I was, levels that I was talking about, where it's like, WordPress, a little more expensive, a little more expensive, and then what I did here. And then obviously there's layers above it. I mean, I, I if I was doing a brand new idea, I really would go down and, uh, you know, I wouldn't do what I did here and I would use kind of a WordPress thing or, or a cheaper design engine. And then I would recommend, I mean, if someone's thinking about acquiring something, um, the cold email approach hasn't worked great for me, but it obviously did here. And I would tell someone that unless, uh, the real value in acquisitions, in my opinion, does not tend to be the technology. It tends to be in the the assets, like the marketing assets and the reputation in Google and the the reputation, you know, um, in in the press or whatever. That that is so much more valuable than just twenty thousand lines of of code. It sounds to me like one of the things you did that really stacked the deck in your favor is that you went after an area that you were an expert in. And you didn't just buy something that was making money. I mean, this is if you. You know, if you're going to spend just a little bit of money on something, um, you know, like you did with like a .NET invoice. I mean, you don't have to be an expert in invoicing to, to sort of get a product like that and improve it. But, you know, with the scale of what you're trying to do with Hittail and the amount of money you're putting on the line, I mean, it seems to me that by going after something that's right in your wheelhouse, you really increased your odds dramatically. Perhaps. Uh, to, to date, I have needed to know almost no SEO to run Hittail. It has purely been technical and design stuff. So it's a thing that, that any good developer could do. Um, mm. Now, moving forward, spreading the word, I may need to, that, that's going to help me, that I'm able to talk intelligently about SEO and how it works and why you should do it and all that stuff. But yeah, to date, it really hasn't been. So what I just said is total BS. <laughs> well, no, I, I think what you've said is applicable as I start marketing it. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. Rather, yeah. Than, rather than in the technology side of it, of just getting it getting it stable and, and working. Well, how have you enjoyed the, uh, the process so far? Are you still really excited about it? Are you glad you did it? I am totally, I really am excited. Like I, I just took uh, what for Martin Luther King, I had four days off and I was like itching to get back. And I haven't been you this excited. four days off for Martin Luther King? Because I don't work Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> still? We're going to talk about this again. I, uh, <laughs> no, I, I have not been this excited to work on something in a very long time. And so, yeah, it's, I 
told my wife, I said, you know, this thing could totally tank. Like I could have just pissed away a lot of money and a lot of time, like four months of my time full time is valuable to me. And yet if it tanks, I'm going to take away so much from it. And, uh, I certainly, I don't, I don't think it will. Like I have confidence that I can make this thing work, but, um, I'm, I'm super stoked to have something to really like, you know, when you find that thing you're so passionate about, I mean, it's like, that's how I feel right now. And I won't feel like that in three years. I'll be like, I'm so done with Hittail. But right now, it's super, I love the turnaround, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is, um, now, does the income from the revenue, is it covering hosting costs and basic operational costs at this point? Yep. Okay, so at least you're operationally in the black. Absolutely. But, and I have money. I'm paying contractors, the support. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah, it's all taken care of. It's all paid for by its own revenue. Okay. Just yep. to let you know, we're uh, we're at one and a half hours here, so we should probably think about wrapping this thing up. Yeah, I'm, I'm about. I think I'm, I'm about out of questions. I think, um, Justin, do you have anything more you want to? I just uh, had that one question. That was it. Yeah, that was your one. That was, that you was did, I, did I even answer that? Yeah. <laughs> did I? Okay. Good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great having you on. It's always fun talking with you, and it's. I've been very interested in hearing the story ever since you uh, first told me about it, yeah. in, uh back in whatever September. Yeah, I'm really, I really appreciate you guys having me on, honestly. I, I knew that if I came on here, like I would be able to talk about it in the way that I want to talk about it, which is a lot about the tech and like the, the I pulled an all-nighter and da-da-da-da-da. And it, where I'm going to go on other shows and it's going to be more fluffy and stuff. But like this is really getting down to the nitty-gritty of kind of what we're all doing. We don't fluff. We don't do fluff. That's, we bust your balls. That's right. No, I, yeah, I really do appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it's cool to come because our communities overlap so much, you know, with, with you guys and, and my podcast and blog and stuff that, um, I, yeah. I'm glad I'm able to tell this story in this format because I can't do this on my own podcast because we don't run 90 minutes. This is the most yeah. depth anyone's going to hear about I think, it. You know? uh, by the way, I also think that, that some of our listeners could, could get a lot of value out of Hittail and I'm, I'm hoping that they'll sign up. Just go to hittail.com and check it out and just see what kind of great suggestions it can offer for you. I appreciate that. Justin, did you already work out some affiliate deal with Rob? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> now, obviously, yeah, if people have questions or, or um, even if they want to know about SEO, like I'm, I'm start, that's the, one of my things I'm going to be doing over the next six months is putting together screencasts about what SEO is and, you know, uh, why to do it and, and how Hittail fits into that. Basically educating, offering value, but also pointing out how Hittail can help with that. So a lot like your, Justin, a lot like your five-day Plugio course. Oh, cool. You know? Twitter. So, so is, is there like a good email address that people can get you at if they want to talk to you about it? Um, yeah, they can email service at hittail.com. Awesome. Pretty easily. And I'll, that'll go to my, my VA and then to me. And before we go, um, just want to do a little plug for microconf. Why don't you just tell us what's, what's happening with microconf, when and where. Yeah. Yes. So I actually have the final contract in my hands today and I'm signing it, sending it to Mike. So it's one of those things where I want, it's like 99% that this is what it's going to be because it, it's all agreed um, that it's going to be April 30th and May 1st in Las Vegas, Hard Rock Hotel. Okay. And Ooh, this is Hard first, Rock Hotel, we're yeah, upgrading. This is, this is, nice. We are, big time. Yeah. Was that crap last year? Riviera. <laughs> okay, what the crap. That was, was rough. Was the hard Rock. It was rough. Yeah, no, this will be good. So, it was um, hard living. <laughs> we're, I know. I know we're super stoked about this and we're going to probably start selling tickets uh, maybe next week, as early as next week. So if folks are interested, I mean, it's basically that it's a conference for self-funded startups. And so if you're a self-funded startup founder, entrepreneur, um, it was mostly techies, but um, I have a feeling there's going to be some non-techies, more, you know, m- more marketing guys and uh, just kind of, I don't know, 
some lawyers yeah. are, are expressing interest, you know? Yeah, we had a lot of fun there last year. Um, I particularly liked uh, the, the dinner we did, the Texing dinner. Yep. And uh, <laughs> that you were awesome. at that for a while. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Was and we have some, some of the same speakers from last year as well. Um, myself and Patrick McKenzie and Heat and Shaw have all agreed to come yep. on. Oh, and then I just got, yeah, loved his stuff. And then uh, Peldy from, from Balsamic is going to come out, Ooh, which that'll is be good. a big win for us. So those are the, the win. You're an investor, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, we're, we're emailing about it right now, actually. He's checking dates. Okay. So, yeah, he would be a good one, I would think. I mean, he, that's right. I mean, he bootstrapped his first company, right? Smart Bear. I think we've strapped several of his companies yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, that would be cool. Yeah. Well, cool. That's great. Well, hopefully we get some, uh, texting people there because I'd like to, uh, like to get out there again this year. And yep. If and, you're interested, uh, if folks are interested, then go to microconf.com and there's a, like an early bird list and it will be a cheaper, it, you'll, first of all, you'll be the first to hear about it. We are limiting tickets this year to 128 and I, I have a feeling it's going to sell out fairly quickly with the buzz that that's on it. Um, just kind of the stuff I've been hearing about. And uh, last year was a hundred, right? It was about a hundred and five hundred and ten. We we sold to, yeah. So okay, we'll see. Small, um, but that and it'll be cheaper if you're on that list than than when it goes to the general public. So awesome, cool. That's it, well, Rob. It's been a it's been a blast. Thanks for awesome. on the show and telling yeah. your story. It was a lot of fun. Really Thanks, appreciate guys. you uh, really taking cool. the time. And uh, really awesome. we wish you the best of luck with Hittail. It's uh, sounds like it's off to a good start. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that's a wrap. We're out.